grab your Bible. And uh, this morning I want you to find two places. The first one is uh, Luke chapter 3, and that's on page uh, 858. Keep one finger in there. And with another finger, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. That's about page 599, Isaiah chapter 40. This morning, we're going to see that Luke, the, the author here, has, uh, is, his God is a God who speaks. His God is one who, uh, he speaks into a broken world where there's all kinds of babble that's just going on. There's talk, talk, talk. And even in our world today, there's all kinds of talking heads that are going on. It's asking for our time, our, our allegiance, our this and that. And in the myriad of all the voices that are going on, especially in Luke's time where the Roman Empire is coming in and there's a call to give allegiance to Caesar, the, the, the king at that time. In the midst of all those voices... In the midst of all that is perishing and all that is not life-giving, a voice breaks in. A voice breaks in and he tells us that there's good news. Good news for salvation. And the salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And the same God speaks today on the same subject, to meet the same need. So the message of Luke, and you can find it also in the message of of Isaiah the prophet, is the same message for us that speaks into our world, into all the babble that's going on, that there is a message, there is a message of hope, that there is salvation for those who are being called to God. There is salvation. So here, from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through six. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Tacronitus, and Lysanus, Tetrarch of Albine, Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. Turn to your left to Isaiah chapter 40. Keep your finger in Luke, Luke chapter 3. But turn over to Isaiah 40. And listen to what Isaiah has to say. Starting at verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her welfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way 
of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of God shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Now, here's, here's the good news. A little history. Isaiah chapter 1 through 39. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to the children of Israel. And if you read it in its entirety, you will see chapters 1 through 39. Isaiah is just giving them the law. Here is the deal. You have fallen away. Here's God's judgment. This is, His wrath is upon you. You have done this. You are the children of God. What have you done? Now know that this is coming. The judgment of God is coming. Chapter 40 is good news. Because since 460 B.C., since the, the ending of the Old Testament, God has been silent. There has been no voice whatsoever from God. God has been silent. So after approximately 460 years, almost 500 years, God was once again speaking to his people. And I, I don't know if they, that excites you. I, I want you to think about it, that you, you have a deep, long lineage of family. Some of you think that you love family and you got a deep heritage. You ain't got nothing. These are people who can trace their stories all the way back. They look all the way back to Moses. They look all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They look all the way back and they say, that's our story. And all of a sudden, they see God's activity, His work in their life, how even through the times of the judges where Israel will have their good times of revival and renewal and God is really active, and all of a sudden, They fall back into these patterns of sin and walking away from God. They see God actively calling them back. Him actively living in their midst. God is active in their lives. And then all of a sudden, this God that they worship, they adore, that that has called them His own children, that God says, I will speak no more for you don't hear And then all of a sudden, after 500 years, the God that you have read about, you have been discipled as, as a child, as a Jewish child, all of a sudden, He breaks onto the scene again, and He's speaking. That is good news. That all of a sudden, your God is speaking again into your life. And one of the first things that you hear is that there is a prophet out in the desert who has a message. And it's a message of repentance. Now, in this Christmas season, this probably is not a message that you want to hear. You would much rather hear some kind of deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa-la-la-la-la, you know, let's, let's talk about the Christmas tree. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about gift giving. You know, Jesus is the greatest gift. You know, this is the kind of thing. It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. But in the Christmas season, we still hear this message. 
as God is breaking into our scene, into our lives, there's a message of repentance. To prepare our hearts, we have got to be prepared in the way that He prescribes. The good news is Isaiah 40 is, starts off in the first chapter is comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Comfort. I, I, I'm giving you a message of comfort. After all the, the judgment and the talk of condemnation, I want you to hear that comfort is coming. We're going to hear later on the song of Simeon in a couple weeks, the song of Simeon, and how he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The comfort of Israel is coming. My eyes have seen it. I'm ready to go. He has come. The same God who judged Israel for all their sins. The same God who judges Paul Vroom and you for all of your sins is the same God that provided Israel mercy. That provides us mercy. And God's ultimate purpose for the nation is not judgment, but for salvation. For the believing remnant. Based on His unmerited grace. On His unmerited mercy. So enter John the Baptist. Last week, Brian Blummer talked about Zachariah, his father, who all of a sudden his mouth opened up because he said, I will name my son John. And so John is this, this child who, I, I kind of, when I picture John the Baptist, he's kind of the Occupy Wall Street kind of guy. Kind of uh, not very well kept. You know, he's kind of the hippie that's out on the edge. And he has this message. He has this message that is, for our ears today, rough. Even uh, Spurgeon had, had something to say about uh, John the Baptist. His raiment and his food were like his doctrine. Rough and simple. There was no mincing of words, no making of pretty phrases with John the Baptist. His message was simply... Repent you, repent you, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. We need more of this John the Baptist teaching nowadays. That men may be plainly told their faults and warned to put away those faults that they may receive Jesus, Christ Jesus as their Savior. Repent. That's the message you need to hear. Put away your faults so that you can receive Christ Jesus as your Savior. The message is true still today. John the Baptist's message was not this. You suck. Start acting right. And that's not the message this morning. The message this morning is that God has a prescribed way of preparing our hearts. And it's not out of shame, pointing the finger... But it's a message of, look at your life in light of who I am and repent. In fact, it's the introduction. It's the prologue.
to the good news. For you to receive the good news, something has got to happen. And what has got to happen? It's repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. For you to receive the kingdom of God, for you to receive this good news, you have got to turn a different way and you've got to face your Savior head on. Instead of facing the world and all that is calling you to and trying to fill you in these ways by material goods, through relationships, through job, through finance, for instead of that, turn and face your Savior so that you can receive all that He has in store for you. That's the good news. It's not one of shame on you, but I've got the best gift for you. So this morning, we we see here a voice that is crying in the wilderness. This crying out. As I said in the beginning, you know, Scripture says that we are to be still before God. Why are we to be stilled before Him? So that we can hear his voice crying out. This voice is crying out and it's saying this. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. You see, back in those times, if a king was coming to your village, coming to your town, he would send an envoy ahead of him. Making the way straight for the king. If there was any rabble on the road, any kind of branches, any kind of stones, if it was bumpy, if there was a way that was far more straight and easy for the king to come, they would make that way straight. So take that picture. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. As Christ is coming in this Advent season, we're preparing our hearts for his incarnation, his his first coming. His voice is saying, prepare a straight way for me. Clear the way of junk so that you can receive this gift of salvation, of hope, of life from the coming King. And how does he say? Every valley shall be filled. Matthew Henry, a A Puritan pastor said that the humble shall be enriched with grace. The low places, they shall be enriched with grace. Every valley that lies low and moist shall be filled and exalted. Maybe this is a message you need to hear this morning. That you are just low and deep and agonizing. And you're in a pit of despair. Your life is just, ugh. I can't see the light of day. I've been trying to get out of this pit on my own. And it's absolutely impossible. The humble who recognize that they need the coming king shall be enriched with grace. Shall be satisfied in their loneliness, in their darkness. He goes on to say, the proud shall be, shall by it be humbled. When it talks about, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. 
make straight his paths. Some of us are like the Pharisees, where our lives are proud and I don't need, I am good enough, I am self-sufficient enough, I can make it by my own good hard work. I, I, I'm fine, I'm, I'm good enough, I don't need this Savior, I don't need this Jesus. In fact, just look at my life. I'm, I'm doing all right with my bankroll. I'm doing all right with my marriage. I'm doing all right with my relationships. I'm doing all right with my jobs. I'm fine. I don't need. And God's going, hold on. Are you serious? The proud shall be made low. Even you too shall be leveled. The self-confident that stand on their own bottom and the self-conceited that lift up their own top shall have contempt put upon them brought down where we recognize that we even in our absolute best moments are absolutely inadequate that even the supposedly most righteous most pious most religious person in the world is still apart from Christ in need of a savior I don't care what your background has been when it comes to religiosity. If it's from Pope Benedict or John Paul, even those high, exalted people are in need of Jesus Christ. And if you are saying, my self-sufficiency is good enough, you've missed the whole message, the whole good news. I need, you need, We all need to be brought low, realizing that apart from Christ, apart from Christ, we are hopeless. It also says that the crooked shall become straight. That sinners, according to Matthew Henry, the sinners shall be converted to God. The crooked ways and the crooked spirits shall be made straight. For... Though no one can make the straight which God has made crooked, yet God by His grace can make the straight which sin hath crooked. God can make the crooked straight. It's by grace that He has saved Paul Vroom from my path of destruction. And I I know your stories. Some of your stories that you've shared That apart from a move of God, apart from an act of God's grace, you were bent on hell. But God has made your crooked ways straight. He has taken you from your crooked, bent ways on going your own direction. And God says, I'm saving you by grace and I'm setting you on a path of righteousness. You're mine. Difficulties that were hindering and discouraging in the way to heaven shall be removed. The rough places shall become level places. The rough ways shall be made smooth and that they and they that Love God's law shall have great peace and nothing shall offend them. The gospel has made the way to heaven plain and easy to be found, smooth and easy to be walked on. 
The gospel is simple. Absolutely simple, but yet it is so confounding to some people. And lastly, the the beauty is, verse 6, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The great salvation shall be more fully discovered than ever. As Jesus enters into the scene, the discovery of this will be joy to all people. the, The angel's message... For unto you a child is born, and he's, he's in the city of David. There's reason for great joy. Now go, go and see what, what we have to say. It's make sure that it's true. And the, the disciples go, we got to go discuss, or the, the shepherds say, we got to go and find out what, this, what they've been talking about. Is this true? And what did they do? They went, they left immediately. And with great joy, once they discovered the Christ child, they told everybody. They told everybody about the coming, the Messiah who has come. And there was great joy that was in them. Salvation is for us. But, verse 6, thanks be to God, all flesh, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It's available to you. It's available to me. It's available apart from ethnicity. It's apart from all class, socioeconomic. It's apart from all those things. Salvation is available to you through Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. He came preaching. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. Repentance isn't just merely an intellectual change of mind about who Jesus is. Oh, yeah, he's Savior. Yeah, oh, he's he's a great teacher. It's not just that. It's not just a a superficial remorse. Oh, I feel badly about, oh, what I've done. I shouldn't be stealing. I shouldn't be doing that. I, I feel kind of bad. Repentance is a deep, deep thing. It is a radical turning from sin to God. It's abandoning your old life and turning to God for salvation. Here, even in in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, Paul said to the Thessalonians, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God, how you turned to God from idols. To serve the living and true God. Repentance that John called for was more than just, hey, I'm sorry. John was calling the nation, was calling the nation to abandon its ways and turn to God. To forsake its sins and so that it could be fit and ready to receive its Savior, the Messiah. He was call, and He's calling us today, as a church, as individuals, to abandon our past ways, or our current ways, and to turn to God. More fully. 
more truly and to forsake all of our sin. To put to death all of our sin so that we can receive, so we are fit to receive our Savior and Messiah. John Piper gives a definition of repentance. Repentance is turning away from any and all reliance upon what I am by birth. Like being Jewish or Gentile. By who? Well, that's who I am. How many times have you heard that in arguments? Well, that's just who I am. Repentance is turning away from those things. Even like being Jewish or Gentile. I'm no longer, I'm, I'm turning from that. To what? Or what I have done by my own effort. And turning to the absolute free mercy for the hope of salvation. Repentance is turning from who I am and what I do And turning to God. Turning to Him. And His absolutely free mercy. Thomas Watson said this. Until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. In repentance, sinners recognize, we recognize our dire condition. We recognize that we are absolutely unable to save ourselves. And we turn to Jesus Christ as the only one who could save us. And so God calls us all to repent. He calls us all to repent. I don't care if you're elder, deacon, children's ministry, pastor, usher, communion server, been in the church your entire life. I don't, I don't care. Before God, those are just pitiful duties, little things that you do. He wants our heart and he wants it wholly, completely. And he's calling us all to repent. He's calling us all to a life of repentance and just saying, listen, Lord, I'm turning again today from my wicked ways. I'm turning my day away from my my sexual desires. I'm turning my ways from uh, looking at how things that I want them to be. I'm turning them to how, God, do you want them to be? I want to live a life that is completely satisfying to you. I want to live a life that pleases you Fully and completely. Lord, I want a marriage that honors the way that you have designed marriage. God, I want to be in relationships in a way that honor you. God, I'm turning for that so that I can receive more of you. I want to have more room in my heart and my life for you. So I'm putting to death those things. And by putting to death those things, those selfish needs, those selfish desires, our fleshly things, it creates more space for the fruit of the Spirit. For the Spirit of God 
Spirit of Christ to dwell in us more richly, more abundantly, more vibrantly. Could you imagine if the church, if we today repent of our sins and say, God, I'm done with this. I'm going to be honest. This, these are my sins. This, 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 this. And all those things that I don't even, I'm even aware of. All those things that I kind of just do because I do them. I put, I, I'm putting to death those. So that I can receive you more fully in my life. So that the Holy Spirit can move more richly and freely and vibrantly. Could you imagine what our church, our lives, our marriages, our relationships, our workplaces would be like if we say, I'm putting to death so I can receive Christ more fully. Could you imagine the witness of the church where these doors would be flung wide open for those who struggle in deep, deep deep-rooted sin. And the church says, welcome on in. You come on in. Prepare the way for the Lord. The low places will be raised up. High places made low. The crooked will be made straight. Because salvation is on its way. It will restore you. It will heal you. It will bring you life where there was lifelessness. And I've got a story for you because I was once that. But let me tell you, 2 Corinthians says, for those who are in Christ, are new creations, and the old is gone and the new has come. That is good news. And we say to whoever we come into, no matter how big their burden is, you know what? There is hope for you. But it requires for you to prepare a way. It requires for you to prepare a way. The message of Advent is that God is gracious. And He graciously comes to us. He graciously comes to us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And He comes to us offering us forgiveness. He offers us reconciliation. And He offers us this amazing opportunity to become children of God. God meets us where we are at. And today, He meets us here. No matter what your circumstances of life are, He meets you here to offer you forgiveness. He comes here today to offer you reconciliation and the amazing opportunity for you to become a child of God. God meets us where we're at. He meets you there. And I'm telling you, if you think that you are here and you're looking for the perfect church, the perfect people, You've missed it. You've missed it. You're never going to find that. Never. In fact, you're invited into a family of misfits. A family of people who are messed up. Starting with me. But only by the grace of God 
Are we able to say we're family and God is, God is doing something in our midst? God calls us all as a family of misfits. He calls us all to trust in his faithfulness. To trust in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for salvation. Salvation that was not just for that moment of, ah, I get it. But to trust in his faithfulness. That he will continue to build us up. To bring us to new heights. And will meet us in the new lows. To turn to Jesus. And to follow his way. Being truly human. He calls us to embrace us all. To embrace the way of the cross. The way of the the crucified and risen Messiah. And then for us all to go pick up our own cross. And to become his agents of peace, reconciliation, and renewal in this world. That's what we're about. That is what this Advent season is about. Of us all to be that voice in the wilderness that is calling out, Hey, make your life ready. To receive the king who's coming. Make your life ready. I don't care what job you have. You are also that voice in the wilderness. Calling out. Saying prepare a way. Prepare a way for the king. He's coming. We saw it in his first advent. But his second one surely is coming again. Prepare a way for his coming. Prepare a way. He'll offer grace and mercy if you are in that low spot. He will flatten you if you are proud, thinking that your way is good enough. He will straighten out your crooked, sinful ways if you submit your life to Him. He will remove the rubble of your life so that it is a smoother path towards salvation. But prepare a way. And here's the reality. We are going to be taking part of a a meal that for centuries that the church has partaken in. It's, It's the Lord's Supper where the church regularly came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you're going to see in this in this meal that when Jesus picked up the bread. In in the institution of this meal, what did he do? He took the the bread which represented his body, and he gave thanks and he broke it. The remarkable grace and love that we see here is absolutely striking. And there's something that can be learned, that Jesus broke the body, his body, to bear our sins. He broke his body to bear our sins. Paul's sins, Bob's sins, James' sins, Karen's sins, Kelly's sins, Jim's sins, Andy's sins. He came to this world to bear our sins. And in that breaking, we see the salvation of the world. What else does God break? We can see it all throughout 
Scripture that God breaks the images of idols. We see that God breaks the houses of sinners. If you want to see it, 2 Kings 2.23. He also breaks the weapons of war. He breaks the jaws of the wicked. In short, God breaks all rebellion and sin. In this way, we we can see how he does this. How God does this. He does it in a way that we are not consumed and destroyed. He provided a way. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So that we could be broken with him. And be restored. And made whole with him. This is not just a meal that we come up and, oh, body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen. And you move along. We recognize in this body that has been broken, that his body was broken for you and me. And his blood that was shed, was shed for a purpose. So that we could be made whole again. It's in communion that we remember again that he's calling us to make straight the paths. Prepare in your lives again this morning. So as you come to the table, for those who, who have submitted their lives to Jesus Christ, not out of church institution, not out of regularity, but truly have given their lives to Jesus Christ. If that's true, then you're welcome at this table. But John the Baptist's message is still true, that we need to repent of our ways. Repent. And come knowing that the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, has made us new again. Amen?